I just, I just want you to know, first service, like, left the doors open just to make sure it stays cool enough in here for you, so we're freezing them out. You're welcome. All right, so I just have one thing to really talk to you about as we get going, and that is if you don't have anything to really do this week, uh, like maybe after work or something, we could use some people to help paint. If you've been in the lounge, we're doing some stuff back there. It'll be like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, something past there. Or if you don't know how to paint and you like to tape, it's like, oh, I just love tape. We have lots of taping to do as well so that we can paint. So we're going to call it uh, our element painting extravaganza. No, I don't know. But seriously, if, if you guys would like to help out, uh, there's Mikey. Is, where is Mikey? He's in the video room over there. Is there a sign-up sheet or what is there? Come and see you or a sign-up sheet? Okay, go and see Mikey. He's at the little video booth. He'll be walking around. Can't miss him. Okay, whatever. So sign up and, and then we'll get you guys painting this week, which will be awesome, especially if you really like paint fumes. It's like, I hate this church, but I love the paint fumes. <laughs> Welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on Live and Uversion. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes and verses and questions and all that goes along with what we're talking about today, which is awesome. So why don't you stand with me reading to God's Word? It says first Peter chapter three verse fifteen and it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people uh, who know how to explain the hope that is within us. Father, the great hope that you have graciously given to us. And that we would speak boldly of it, of the excitement of who you are, and that people would know that we love you as our great God. Amen. Have a seat. This is Stupid Summer, week nine of our combined and continued stupidity. Uh, we are looking at dumb things that Christians believe but aren't true. I hope as we've gone through this, none of, that, none of this have made you feel like oh, we're picking on you, unless really the shoe fits, but you know, that, that's how that works. Uh, we don't necessarily think you personally are dumb, just certain assumptions and beliefs are dumb. You are probably very sincere and moderately intelligent. <laughs> and you want to be good and go, what? <laughs> and pay attention half the time. You know? Uh, you know, but, but we all believe some things that don't necessarily help us to live out the gospel in our lives today. And today as we talk about something, this is ne- very near and dear to my heart. And this is the stupid summer topic of I don't know enough to talk about Jesus or tell other people about who Jesus is. Now, if you are a Christian, you are told all the time you need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is good news, and that's a true thing. We do need to be talking about the gospel, but how we go about it is really goofy sometimes. Some people go door-to-door. Some people are actually forced to go door-to-door. I met a guy once whose church gave them fish hooks for every person that they led to Jesus, and they actually wore them. Now, imagine walking up and being like, how many fish hooks you got? You know, talk about envy. Mine's bigger than yours. You know, how many fish hooks you got? Is that over the line? No? Okay. Yeah. Boy, you're going to be a tough crowd this morning. (laughs) The point is, we are all called to share the gospel, but everyone thinks that they don't know enough to talk about Jesus, and that's a myth. And today we're going to talk about how anyone can tell anybody about Jesus. And in my experience, people who call themselves Christians who have been in church for any length of time, they feel inadequacy. Some of them feel guilt about not actually talking about Jesus. Anybody? 
Okay, so for the five of us, we're going we're gonna to talk about this for us today. Uh, and this is the question, how do I talk to somebody else about Jesus in a way that feels authentic and is actually effective? So have you ever felt inadequate, inadequate about this or guilt? A lot of Christians have done this really poorly, and you can just fit in with all of them as well. Anybody know who, you, who Eugene Peterson is? Eugene Peterson? He wrote a, a, message, a Bible called, version called The Message. It's not the greatest version in the world, but he wrote some other really good books as well. One, of, one book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Excellent book. I recommend it for all of you. Anyway, he writes about how he grew up in a very devout Christian home. And when he started the first grade, he felt the tension of life when he grew up in a Christian home than going to a, uh, a school with non-Christian people. Now, today he's a pastor and a writer, but when he was in the, in, the sec- in the first grade, a second grade bully by the name of Garrison Johns came up and decided to make him his punching bag. And this is what Eugene Peterson writes. I had been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. I don't know how Garrison Johns knew that about me. Some sixth sense bullies have, I suppose. Most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. He also found out I was a Christian and taunted me with Jesus' sissy. I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mother told me this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I had better get used to it. Thanks, Mom. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. One day, I was with seven or eight friends when Garrison cut up with us in the afternoon and started jabbing me. And that's when it happened. Something snapped. For a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I was stronger than he was. Nice. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, pins his arm to the ground on my knees, and he was helpless at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good. (laughs) And I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose. And you can tell he's a writer because he says, a lovely crimson in the snow. (laughs) I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. Then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. (laughs) He wouldn't say it. So I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. He said, he said Garrison Johns is my first Christian convert. <laughs> so you ever feel really guilty or inadequate? You can't really do worse than that, right? I mean, there, there's, there's not really inquisitions and crusades anymore, so you can't really do worse than that. And you may think, man, I don't know how to talk about Jesus, and I don't, know what, I, don't want to, I don't know if I do it really well, so today is for you. Open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to look at a disciple who is very obscure. He doesn't get a lot of press, but after today, you will know who he is, and you will know more than half the people in the world today, probably. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, it says this. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, not John the guy who wrote the gospel. John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, after he says this, he has a couple disciples that hear him say this, and so they go to follow Jesus and leave John the Baptist behind. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. So it's like, what are you seeking? What do you want? We want you to be our teacher. They said, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. Basically, come and you can follow me. You learn the identity of one of these two guys. Verse 40, One of the two who heard John speak and followed was followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
That means he became a disciple of Jesus. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon. Literally in the Greek, this is like the first thing he did after learning who Jesus was, was he found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And it tells you some things about Andrew right there as you start. The first one is his obscurity. When the writer of the Gospel of John wants to identify Andrew to his audience, you've got to notice how he does it. He always says, Simon Peter's brother. Now, there are some disciples who are so famous, they get nicknames. You get John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You got Thomas, who was doubting Thomas. You get Peter, you know, who, Simon, who is Peter. Petros, the rock, does this thing with his eyebrows. And you got Matthew, the converted tax collector. But how does Andrew get described? As Simon Peter's brother. Now, Peter is one of those larger-in-life characters. Andrew's going to spend the rest of his life in Peter's shadow. But Andrew meets Jesus, his life is changed, he finds in Jesus everything he's hoping for, uh, everything he wants in his life, he's dreaming for and praying for. And so he becomes a follower of Jesus and Jesus' friend. And the gospel says the first thing that Andrew did was to find Peter. It became his topmost priority. I've got to find my brother, I've got to find Simon, I've got to get him to Jesus. And so I think he takes him to Jesus by his arm and says, Simon, this is Jesus, the one I was telling you about. Jesus, this is Simon. He's my brother. He's a fixer-upper. He's got lots of issues, but he's got a great heart. Can he be part of us too? John 1, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The very first time you see Andrew, as soon as he experiences the power of Jesus in his life, his next thought is of the person that means most to him in the world, and that's his brother, Peter, and he brings him to meet Jesus. And immediately his brother gets his really catchy nickname, you know, Peter the Rock, and he becomes really famous. But I don't think Andrew is ever jealous of that. I think he is just excited that his brother met Jesus and everything in his life changed. Because to bring, this is the best. To bring somebody to Jesus is the best. For 2,000 years, people have been bringing people to Jesus, one person at a time, one sister, one friend, one brother, you know, one co-worker. And the very first time, according to the Gospel of John, it is this guy, Andrew, who does it. And he brings his brother. Now, how much did he know about Jesus when he brought his brother to Jesus and introduced him? It's like, that guy's cool, I'm going to follow him, I want to follow Jesus, and then he goes and tells his brother. He doesn't really know a whole lot at all. He's not a Billy Graham. He's just talking about what he himself is excited about. Open to John chapter 6. Next time you see Andrew is in this John chapter 6. This is also a very famous event. Jesus is uh, teaching huge crowds at this point, a gathering of 5,000 people plus women and children. And Jesus asks one of his disciples, Philip, how are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? And Philip says, it's going to take way more money than we could ever scrape up, Jesus. I don't know what we're going to do. And while Jesus and Philip are having this conversation, the text says, John chapter 6, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, again, because you don't really know who he is, so that's Simon Peter's brother in case you forgot, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Now, apparently, Andrew, who doesn't really get noticed that much, he notices a little boy that has some extra stuff in his lunch that he's willing to share. And you've got to also notice, Andrew doesn't have it all figured out. He doesn't know if this is actually going to do any good. He just thinks, if I can get this little boy to Jesus, Jesus will know exactly what to do. I don't have the answers. Jesus does. I'm going to introduce this boy to Jesus. He will figure out the rest. Now, the myth is one of the myths that you have to have all the answers all figured out before you can talk about Jesus. That is untrue. It is untrue. If you wait until you have all the answers and everything figured out, you will never talk about Jesus because there's always answers we're not going to have answered. You don't have to have all the answers. You introduce somebody to Jesus. You get them to Jesus. Jesus does the miracle. And in here, the whole crowd is fed and the whole crowd is amazed. I'm imagining that little boy goes home and his mom says, hey, how was the lunch I packed for you? He's going to be like, you would never guess what 
just happened with my lunch. And he probably talks all about it, but never even mentions Andrew. He just talks about Jesus. I mean, and, and this is this thing. Andrew's heart is what we need. Andrew introduces him to Jesus. Now, if it wasn't for Andrew, what would have happened? Jesus still would have fed everybody because he's God. He would have made sure it happened. But in the stack, you've got to understand, Andrew's the one who, come on, people, he's God. You've got to figure that out. Okay, open to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Meet Andrew one more time in his Passion Week. This is the week that Jesus enters Jerusalem before he is crucified. And John says there are Greeks at the Passover festival. It doesn't mean they're necessarily from Greece. It means that they were Greek speakers and Gentiles. They're interested in Israel and its religion. So they come up to a disciple named Philip, probably because Philip is a Greek name. So they think, well, he's got to know Greek, so he'll talk to us. John 12, 21. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, what's interesting is Philip doesn't take them to go see Jesus. It's a dicey thing in this day for a rabbi to talk to Gentiles. And so there's rules about that. So instead, Philip goes and he talks to Andrew because Philip thinks, man, Andrew's going to know what to do. He knows what to do about this kind of stuff. Verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus because Andrew has no qualms about bringing anybody to Jesus. Andrew's learned over the years, if I get people to Jesus, he takes care of it. I get that. So I'm going to introduce these people to Jesus. And so they go and tell, hey, some Gentiles have come to see you. And if you read through the Gospel of John, it's at this point now that Gentiles, people out in the world, are coming to see Jesus, that Jesus says in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That is the climax of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now it's going to be time for the cross and the resurrection, and it's kind of initiated by this encounter that is launched by Andrew. I think Andrew is the first guy who ever really gets it, that absolutely anybody can come and see and follow Jesus. That's Andrew's story. You only really see him three times, but every time he seems to be saying to somebody, come on, I'm going to take you to Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. Jesus says to his disciples, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You thought your job was to fish for fish or collect taxes or teach school or work in an assembly line or clerk at a store or run a business, but I'm going to give you a bigger job, another job on top of that. Your job is to be fishers of men. You go and you find people who are lost and confused and hurt and lonely and angry and you bring them to me. And Andrew gets it. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Just one book over, so you're right there anyway. Um, so three years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus gathers his disciples together again. And these are some of his final words to his disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And you will notice these places in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What Jesus is saying is, you're not supposed to spend all your time together just with each other. I've been instructing you and equipping you, and I'm giving you my strength and my power. Your life has changed. There's a world out there of people who my Father loves, and you are to preach and be, live the gospel to. That's the good news. They need to hear it. They need to know about me, and I'm sending you out there to be the gospel to those people. And here is what happens. The church doesn't go. They just kind of huddle up in Jerusalem because they have an amazing community. Let's just all hang out together. Now go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And so what God has to do is God has to take the next step since they won't do it. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, two of the places where Jesus said to go. You're going to go, we're not going to go, we're going to hang out. Oh, no, 
Now you're going to go. And he makes it happen. God stirs up the nest. But the problem they had then is the same problem we have now. That far too many churches are filled with Christians who form a kind of spiritual bomb shelter and virtually spend no time at all with, with people who are not Christians. They're like, oh, I'm going to hang out here and not talk to people who don't really you know, love Jesus. I mean, that's a bad thing. I mean, as I, when I wrote this message a few months ago, we had three families who were talking about leaving Element. A couple of them did. And, and when we finally got to talk to them, we found out that the reason that they left is because we expect people to be involved and serve and be on mission. And they said they wanted to be in a church where they could get lost and that the leadership would serve them. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not Element. We serve Jesus, we serve each other, and we serve those that don't know him. That's what we're about. And football season is, is around right now. Woo, football, yay. All you weird people that are just like, I love football, but my goodness, some of you guys are weird about it. Now, imagine if, if you had a football team who said, man, we have awesome huddles. I just love my huddle. I'm comfortable in my huddle. I don't like it on the field. When I go out on the field, people try to hurt me. They hit me. I don't like that. The field's not a safe place. So let's just stay in our huddle. And I know some of the teams you like would do better if they did that. <laughs> but you can't win if you don't play. See, Christianity, it is in the game. And a lot of people, I think, outside the church and in our world look at the church, at communities of faith, and all they see is a big huddle. And it gathers week after week, and its only apparent goal is to have a great huddle and make the huddle as big as possible. Honestly, sometimes the huddles are not that great. Sometimes we argue with each other. Sometimes you guys are a pain in the butt. True story. I'm just saying. I see, I think the world is watching. And quite honestly, I don't think it cares how good our huddles are. They're wondering if we're actually going to be in the game. Is somebody going to care about the people who are truly poor? Are people actually going to get generous with their resources? Will they actually feed the hungry? Will you actually love your families? Will you live with a sense of humility? Will people actually do business with integrity? Will people actually live the gospel? Will people in the huddle love those people outside the huddle who look different or dress different or talk different, who believe different or act different than them? The huddle is not an end in itself. In a huddle, huddles aren't bad. A huddle, you get together, you encourage each other, Boom, good game, nice catch. Glad you knocked that out of the guy's hands. That was awesome. In a huddle, you get together, you get encouraged. We worship God, we get inspired. We, then we receive assignments. And then we put our hands in the middle and we say, let's go. That's the translation of amen, right? And, and, then, and then you actually go. And then you work and you serve and you love and you live and you, and you volunteer and you connect and you relate and you walk and talk for Jesus, everything that we do. We do this all in Jesus' name. And we do it to bring people to Jesus. You're not just somebody who does good deeds. That comes out of you first being saved by him. See, our goal is not to create more moderately dressed and moderately housed and moderately employed and moderately educated people. Because there's already well-educated and well-dressed people out in the world. And they need to hear about Jesus. Our job is to lift him up so everybody would worship who he is. This is why we cannot make Christianity about us. In Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Acts 4, 11 and 12, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. George Barna did this uh, study about a year and a half ago about religious life in America. 
looked at all the metropolitan cities uh, in America. And so I'll give you the two cities that had the lowest percentage of people who actually believe that the Bible is the word of God and is true. Uh, the second one is San Francisco. You're like, ah, it's no surprise. Okay, like fully 72% of people in San Francisco said we do not believe the Bible at all. Okay, 28% said we do. Now, the only city that had a lower percentage than that, uh, which was 27%, was a place called Providence, New Jersey. You know how they got the name Providence, New Jersey? When they made the town, they said, we don't want to forget the providence and the goodness and the greatness of who God is. We want to remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God, so we will call ourselves Providence. <laughs> nice. Nice. And yet we think, well, that, that's really sad. But honestly, if we aren't actually living the gospel with our lives, we don't really believe what the Bible says either. See, people matter to God. Spiritually lost and confused and angry, hostile people, they matter to God. Do they matter to you? You know, they matter to me. See, people say, well, that's, that's the church's mission. You are the church. You are the church. It's not this building. Jesus says you go into the world, you make disciples. And that doesn't happen, you know, through campaigns and organizations and advertising and media. It's the Andrew way. That's how it happens. One person loves Jesus and loves somebody else and introduces them to Jesus. It's not a notch in the belt. It's not a fish hook. It's not a salesman's job. It's just love. Love for Jesus and love for one another. So, how do you talk about Jesus? You're like, I thought you were going to talk. Yeah, I will talk about that. How do you talk about Jesus? I'll give you four things. Number one, identify and pray. Identify and pray. This is for the people in our lives who, who don't know Jesus or just are just far from God. Andrew starts with Peter. Who in your life right now do you know that is far from God? Come up with a real name. Just think about it. Put it in your head. Boom. That, that person. And here's the question. Will you be willing to make a commitment to regularly pray for that person? Like, oh, I don't got to talk? Great. Yeah, pray. I'm there. I'm done. Got it. Right. Talking's coming in just a second. Okay. And when you pray for them, ask God to give you a heart for people that don't know him or are far away from him. Identify and pray for people in your life who don't know God. Second thing you do is you live a life of joy. Of joy. Of joy. A Jesus-centered life is key because the world is not likely to receive a gospel of transformation from an untransformed people. And so you ask Jesus, give me joy, not happiness, not something that's fleeting, but something that goes through the hard times and the trouble, this joy that sits deep inside of us to really live his kind of life. Now, what I'll do is I'll give you a very practical thing. You might think this is so mundane and stupid, but I'm going to give you something very practical. In the food service industry, people in churches don't have a high reputation for being generous tippers. What is wrong? I know it's true. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> you know, you're going to get out of the service in a little bit. You may go out to brunch. You may go out to lunch. You may go out to eat sometime this week. You know, everybody knows when church gets out, their restaurants all fill up. And it's going to be the best of the worst tips they get all week. And if you want to see people who don't get noticed and you want to begin to live a life of joy and just be generous like God is generous, be a good tipper. Make those people be excited for when, oh, man, church is getting out. Yeah, maybe I should go check out that church because those people are really generous and really cool. It's just something really practical you can start to do. You live the kingdom of God life in everything you do, and it's a life of generosity. The third thing you do is you learn the art of skillful conversation. Like, oh, okay, i got to learn how to be skillful. You know, what that means is you actually start to use your words, okay? Just begin to use your words. If you are a parent and you don't know necessarily a lot and you have a kid who's growing up, spend some time with them. Learn and grow together. Talk about these things together. Some of you guys have the spiritual gift of gab. You just talk all the time. This just comes naturally for you. A lot of other people, not so much. You don't have the gift of gab. So if you have the gift of gab, help somebody who doesn't. Be like, this is how you talk to people. That's really uncomfortable. Just learn how to start talking to people. There is no joy like pointing someone to Jesus. 
And I believe it can be learned. It's not like, hey, how's the Dodgers? By the way, Jesus died for your sins. I mean, that's just awkward and that's weird. That's not how you do it. Okay? Anybody ever get a new phone? You ever get a new phone? Like you've been like, man, uh, I got this. And then you get like an iPhone. You're like, oh, my iPhone is just awesome. They came up with a new one, just like the old one, just different colors. I don't know why they do that. Okay, but, you know, you get a new phone, and you're like, somebody, man, my apps are better than your apps. My phone is so cool. Oh, your phone's terrible. Look at my phone. You're all excited about it. Jesus has saved you. I mean, seriously, how excited should that make you? You should be able to talk about that. That's exciting. You were lost. You are found. Your life is found in him. Wow. Have you seen my phone? I mean, what a huge difference. If you're excited about it, you just talk about what you're excited about. You know, you, you tell stories and things like that. And a lot of times, the easiest way to do this is people around you are always going to end up going through something. So you offer to pray for them. Or don't even offer. Just say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Don't even build the offers. I'm, I'm going to start praying for you. And, and you tell them that. You know, there's a lot of people who would actually enjoy having a spiritual conversation, but nobody ever initiates that. You know, there's a lot of people who would actually come to a church if people invited them. 74, 73% never even invited. Never even invited. See, and you don't have to have all the answers. You just talk about what Jesus did in you, your experience, your life change. This is why when you go to baptisms, this is why we have you write your story. I read this story about, about a couple in Southern California who had some neighbors, they had this ache in their heart, said, we've never been able to really have kids. And so the Christian couple said, well, we'll start praying for you. Didn't, didn't say, do you want us? They said, we're going to start praying for you. And they did. And six months later, this couple comes back and says, you'll never guess, we're pregnant. And the Christian couple says, man, so we're going to really start praying for you now. True story. Two weeks later, this couple comes back and says, we're not just pregnant, we're having twins. <laughs> And they're like, oh, wow, we're really going to start praying for you now. So they start praying for him. And like three weeks later, they come back and they said, uh, it's actually not twins, it's triplets. Can you please stop praying for us? <laughs> Sometimes when you talk to people, offer to pray for them. You, you can also stand, you know, sometimes uh, steer things in a spiritual direction when people are going through things and they just start talking. Listen to them. Listen to what they say. Then ask questions. Well, you know, what, what's your faith like? You know, what, you know, what do you think about the subject of, of who Jesus is? When you're growing up, what do you think about God? You know, if they're not a Christian, you don't have to jump in and try and correct all their bad doctrine right away. You just listen to them. You love them. You can become somebody's spiritual resource provider. There may be a book that they would really enjoy reading. And so you just say, hey, I got this book for you. You want to read it? Oh, I don't read. Here, I got it on tape for you. Here you go. You know, something. Invite them to your gospel community. What better place to invite somebody than to your gospel community? You know, maybe uh, next year we're going to be doing uh, some parenting classes. And maybe you have, you know, some friends having problems and they need some parenting classes. Well, invite them to a parenting class. Maybe it's a money issue. Invite them to Financial Peace University. You know, at, on Element, our, our website right now, we have classes on world religion, on discipleship. Uh, our gospel class is online. And you can start to actually tell people about these things. Like we're doing Element U. And if you have a friend or a neighbor who's like, man, I don't understand what's going on in our world today. Invite them. And actually, don't, don't say, I'll meet you there. Pick them up. Take them to dinner and bring them with you. Don't be like, yeah, go to that. I'm not going to be there. But you go to that. Bring them with you. Sit down. Make connections. Maybe there's a podcast or a blog article. You can become a spiritual resource provider for somebody. But I will tell you, when you start living this way, at some point, somebody's going to want to know, how do I become a Christian? How do I do that? And you've got to be ready for that moment. And I know some people are like, they're all excited. I love Jesus. And someone goes, well, how do I become a Christian? And he's like, during the headlights, blink, blink, 
Like, uh, what do I do? This is why it says in 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. And this was point number four that was on the slide before, which is you tell your story. You tell your story. You make it simple. Uh, you could even use cliches. I'll give you a cliche. I didn't make this one up, so I'm not that cheesy, but it's, it's a decent cliche. Uh, other religions, they, use, they, they spell you know, uh, salvation D-O. It's, it's because we all recognize that there's something wrong, there's guilt, there's sin, there's waywardness in the human condition. We're separated from God and what we're supposed to be. So the focus is, well, what do I do? You know, and then, and have I done enough good works? Have I obeyed enough? Have I prayed enough? You know, did I fast enough? Did I give enough? Did I meditate enough? It's about what you do. But Christianity, if you spelt it in one word other than Jesus, it's spelt done, D-O-N-E. It's what Jesus has already done. Because our sin has separated us from God, we deserve death. But Jesus was perfect, so he could pay the price that we couldn't pay, that debt of sin. Sin always leads to death, and so Jesus dies a death that we couldn't die. This is why he comes to earth and went to the cross and was raised again. Christianity is not spelt D-O. It is spelt D-O-N-E, what Jesus has already done for us. And you say, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, he is your forgiver who will be with you forever. And then you pray with him, and you talk with him. And then you say, well, well, what do I pray? What did you pray? Did you pray something? I don't know. Maybe you should start. Okay, seriously, you, you're, you're talking to God. This is a conversation with the creator of the universe. Here, you know, when you pray with somebody, say, you know, Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for saving me. I and my life want to serve you as my king and my God and my Lord forever and ever. And that's where the relationship starts. And then it moves forward from there. And if you're in this room and you've never made that decision with your life, you've been maybe on a doing track, you're always trying to to do things, and you didn't know that Christianity is about what Jesus has already done for you, you've never confessed your sin, asked Jesus to become your forgiver and God and King and Lord, you can actually do that right now. Right now. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back at the end of the service. They'd love to pray with you. The most powerful story you can ever tell is how Jesus saved you. And this is why, again, our baptism stories are so important in what we, what we do. And I think about heaven and conversations that are going to take place. I think Peter's going to be there. be a bunch of guys standing around him going, oh, what was it like to walk on the water? What was it like to chop somebody's ear off and have Jesus paste it back on their head? You know, all the things Peter did just because he was Peter. You know, all that stuff. And, then, and, I, and I think there's probably another guy in the corner talking about, man, I had a couple loaves and a couple of fishes, and Jesus took this. He fed 5,000 people. It was just amazing. And a couple other guys going, yeah, you know what? We were really kind of the first, you know, Gentiles that got in on this movement, and we became part of it, and we got to meet Jesus. I think Andrew would probably come walking in the edges at that point. And they're all like, that's the guy. That's the guy that, that introduced us. It was his invitation. Now, Jesus does the saving. Jesus does the calling. I believe all that. But Andrew's heart is what God's people need because we should be people who want to know eternity with Jesus and want to bring everybody along with us as we possibly can. A church needs to be about the mission Jesus gave his church, his people. You have everything you need to talk about Jesus. And you should be talking about Jesus because he is exciting, he is wonderful, and he saved you, and he is better than your phone. You don't got to buy a new Jesus every two years because Jesus bought and paid for you. It's the other way around. And this is why his spirit renews us daily because Jesus saves his people. And this is why we come to communion every week is a reminder that Jesus came and he died and rose from the dead. And this is why we take that cracker and we break it like his body was broken for us. We dip it in the wine and the grape juice because it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because he is a people, we are a people that he has paid for and bought and brought home. 
And we need to tell everybody how great and wonderful he is because we want everyone to worship the goodness of who he is. We don't want little clones of element all over the world. We want people serving and worshiping and following Jesus. That's what we want. And so we live lives that show that. The band's going to come up, and as they do, they're going to play a couple songs. Uh, you are invited while they play the songs to take communion. And again, there's going to be some deacons and elders in the back of the room. And we invite you guys, if you need prayer for anything, for anything, but especially if you're today like, man, I want to serve and I want to worship and I want to love and I want to follow Jesus, well, then pray with them. They would love to talk to you about that. Uh, There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving in is simply part of our worship. Uh, and there would be some donut holes and stuff in the back, because if you really want to follow Jesus, you do it with other people. You know, a, a, church, a church is not just you. A church is all the people together. It is the body of Christ. And, and when Jesus, you know, when he saves us, we are a people who learn how to do this life together. He saves you personally, yes, you. But then we live this life in community with each other. And we, by the way we live and the words that we say and how we interact, we tell the story of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he continues to do. We have a Savior. We have a God. We have a King. And he has made everything, including us. And not just that, he has saved and redeemed his people. And so we live that excitement and tell everyone of the greatness and the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who talk boldly about you, not in crazy ways. We're always trying to steer every conversation to a place of, Jesus died for your sins, but into a place of the goodness of who you are. That when people around us are hurting, that we could step into that with some grace, speaking of the goodness of you. That you would give us the the strength to believe and know that you have not just called us to be saved, but you have also sent us to those around us. Today, use us. Use us as your people. Give us boldness and strength to be about your business. Not just people who are doing good works, but because we have been remade and renewed and restored We do things that bring you great glory and honor. Father, it is your love that has poured out that has saved us. You are the hope of the world. You are the hope of our souls. And have us be those who will speak truthfully and honestly about that. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.